This is a 980 CKNW podcast. Good evening. I'm Maureen McGrath, and this is the Sunday Night Health Show, a show all about health. It's been said your health is your wealth. The benefits of great health cannot be overstated. Great health leads to a longer and happier life and even better relationships. Physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, relational, and sexual. Uncovering what lies beneath the covers. I have a passion for up-to-date and accurate health information to guide you so that the life you lead is the best it can be. Please do put the kitties to bed as listener discretion is advised, even though we're going to be talking about them tonight. Uh, we are going under the covers. So put them under the covers first, and then we'll get under the covers with you. On this program, my aim is to provide you with up-to-date, evidence-informed information so that you know there are options for treatment to your ails. Please, however, consult with your medical doctor if you do have any issues. Good evening, Andrew. How are you? I'm okay, actually. Oh, good. That's Look behind great. you. I did. Isn't it gorgeous? It got a lot better. It did. Even better. That is downright orgasmic out there. It's fantastic. That's a very good word to use for (laughs) it. It's the only word I use. (laughs) It's stunning. We're going to have to get some some described uh, video here just looking at that. It's just like the sky looks like it's on fire right now, like cascades of this bright orange and purple. It is beautiful. Wow. There's one thing I can appreciate after days that are, you know, the weather's kind of iffy. It's kind of miffy. I can appreciate the sunsets because they're usually absolutely killer they are and this one is tonight well anyway nice to be here this <laughs> evening i've spent the weekend in dallas texas dallas this week look dallas, at you Dallas, i know <laughs> you're just traveling the world oh yes all the exotic places <laughs> all the exotic places like dallas what was it last week it was arizona i think it was <laughs> right. but dallas was a laser conference and Ooh, um, what's yes, that laser therapies are oh. yeah, becoming more and more popular Oh, my goodness. I, I really felt like an alien <laughs> there. <laughs> I didn't look like anybody else, and everybody else looked alike. Uh, <laughs> between the trout lips and the tight skin, and they were saying, we can do you. Come on over here. <laughs> like, I was offered every free treatment out there. Like, that one is a virgin. And <laughs> However, the highlight of the weekend was, and, and I got a little bit sick while I was there, so you know, I was had chills, and they love air conditioning in all of oh the boy. southern states, you know. And, and so I had on two dresses at one point and two sweaters and a scarf and, and a jacket. And everybody else looked like Barbie. And, you know, so my self-esteem took a hit this weekend. But... Um, Hopefully it's rebounded. It's re- barely. You don't, you don't look as bad as I you look describe. Terrible. Are you no, you don't. <laughs> Listen to me. Anyway, um, it, it was tempting to to uh, try to do. I actually did book a procedure. It was a radio frequency on my face, and then I was like, "No, I can't go. I canceled. <laughs> I just can't do it. What if I come out worse afterward?" <laughs> um, surely there's adverse events for some of that. But uh, I did meet Dan Harris, who is the ABC News weekend anchor, and he is a gentleman who had a panic attack on the air in front of 5 million viewers. And he was the keynote speaker, and he was phenomenal, I have to say. And he's written the book called 10% Happier, which I have not read yet because I've just ordered it. And so I'm going to read it on, I'm going to get it on Tuesday. I'll read it by next week. But uh, he was a he was great, and he really spoke about the voice in our head, the negative voice in our head that tells us we are not good enough and what that led to for him. And he was really honest in terms of uh, it led to self-medication for him and and it led to a, a lot of troubles in his life. Uh, but he was very raw and very open and um, 
I, I just loved him, that I loved his honesty. I loved his, he went to a psychiatrist, and we have a psychiatrist on the program tonight. She's already diagnosed me. Um, but anyway, he did go off to a psychiatrist, and he, and he fessed up that he had actually um, self-medicated, and, he, and there were like 2,500 people in the room, and he's like, this is when the entire room goes quiet. Because you wouldn't think the son of a doctor, uh, or son of two doctors, in fact, and married to a doctor as well, would admit to self-medicating with cocaine, but he did. And also he talked about the self-help that actually works. Uh, And we're seeing a lot about this uh, in these times, mindfulness, living in the moment. So many of us are so bad at that, like myself, like like an obsessed groupie on crack or something. I approached him afterward. I mean, you're supposed to leave these stars alone. Anyway, I talked about how we use mindfulness in sex. And he was very interested in that. He, he put up on the, on the uh, stage how mindfulness is used in PTSD and in many different medical conditions. And so I talked media with him. I talked about childhood. It was like I went to his bar mitzvah for crying out loud. I was shameless. And um, so we took a quickie selfie, he and I, and it was the worst selfie ever. And, you know, I typically don't feel like I have those negative voices in my head, but I've been denying them. And so I had this negative voice screaming at me, Go back to him. Get a better picture. This is horrible. What's he going to think of you? Oh, my gosh, he's going to think you're, you're the, the biggest loser ever. Just go. So I shamelessly ran after him, grabbed his pant leg. He dragged me along the floor for a little bit. Got some rug burns the whole nine yards. And anyway, I showed him the picture, and he agreed. It was horrible. And so we did do a do-over. And I have my picture with um, – uh, I took out my selfie stick. Like, how bad is that? How embarrassing. Took out my selfie stick, snapped, snapped it, edited it, okay? <laughs> I was feeling really badly about myself this weekend at this laser conference. I've never edited a picture of mine in my life. Anyway, I've defied every single principle of mindfulness. The voice, the judgment, the anxiety, the panic set in. I even had a desire to self-medicate, dare I say. So I bought the book, 10% Happier, How I Tamed the Voice in My Head, Reduced Stress Without Losing My Edge, and Found Self-Help That Actually Works, Dan Harris's True Story. I uh, have not read it yet. I don't like to talk about books that I haven't read, but I will read it this week. We can talk about it next week on the program. But for tonight, we have lots of other subjects to discuss with all of the national and world tragedies the Humboldt, the school shooting, Syrian strikes. How do we help children sort through all of this? Good mental health is critical for children. Tonight, we're going to set the foundation for mental health in children. It's going to be a bit of a parenting 101 because sometimes parents contribute to these issues or, or parents don't recognize some of these mental health issues. We're living in troubling times. Dr. Smita Nadu of papercloudsproject.ca is here with me tonight to help to destigmatize mental illness in children. Also going to be talking as they grow up a little bit. The new study says the iGen. That's the generation that was basically born with an iPhone in their hand. Um, some came out via placenta. They came out via an iPhone connected to their mother's uterus. Uh, the kids born after 1995. iGen is motivated, realistic, and safe, but many teens are unhappy. Why is that? I'm going to review some recent research and some 
uh, compare that to some older research as well. I don't talk about this enough, but I should talk about it more and more. I see many, many patients in my clinical practice who come in with this issue, childhood sexual abuse, mainly the boys. We don't think that little boys are sexually abused, but they are. And the impact on what this can do to adult intimate relationships cannot be overstated. It seems to me that no two situations are alike. I'm going to be talking about the silence, the legacy of childhood sexual abuse and trauma. I bet you didn't realize that many people don't know how to put on a condom. Well, I didn't know that either. And I heard a 50-year-old doctor one time tell me after his divorce that he didn't know how to put on a condom. And he went down to uh, a sex shop and he, and this is a true story, he went down to a sex shop and he said to the woman, you know, I, I need to learn to, how to put on a condom. And, and she said, oh, we have condoms from Germany and we have condoms from China. We have condoms from New Zealand. He said, no, 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 I need to learn to put one on. And she said they, that we have $5 ones, we have $2 ones, we have $8 tickler ones. He said, no, no, I need to turn, put one on. I don't know how to put one on. I just got divorced. And she said, oh, go to your doctor for that. And he said, I am a doctor. And she said, wow, do you want to go out for lunch? That is an absolutely true story. But anyway, he eventually did learn how to put on a condom. But a lot of people don't. And so don't assume people can. So tonight... I'm going to show you <laughs> on the air. That'll be interesting. Also going to be talking about some of the myths about relationships. Relationships are changing. Marriage is changing. There's a lot of things about marriages that um, I actually had a uh, conversation with an escort this weekend, and she had some information that she wanted to pass over to the wives of the men she dates. Yes, I said dates, and I said the wives. <laughs> Um, also going to be talking about some things you should never do in bed. You should sleep, definitely. <laughs> I need some sleep. Uh, and also, how can romance protect gay and lesbian youth from emotional distress? Mental health is key, and I think mental health is creative, but I really don't know a whole lot about it, like my first guest that's going to be joining me after the break. She's going to be talking about her new book, The Quest for Rest, Polly and Pickles, Dr. Smita Nadu, as well as her partner, Andrea J. Bell, have created this platform to help to destigmatize mental health in children. I'm Maureen McGrath, and you are listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. You can always give me a call if you like. The number to call is one 877 99998 That's one 877 or you can email me, nursetalk at hotmail.com. That's nursetalk at hotmail.com, N-U-R-S-E-T-A-L-K at hotmail.com. My next guest is just back from Dragon's Den audition, <laughs> and I'm wishing her great luck because I think this is tremendously uh, wonderful work. Dr. Smita Naidu is an MD and a child psychiatrist, uh, along with her partner, Andrea J. Bell. She's written the book, The Quest for Rest, Polly and Pickles. It's about a little girl who goes through her week with lots of behavioral challenges. And in the end, you find out that 
some of those challenges are likely related to sleep. It's a very interesting way that this has been um, put together. Uh, The front part of the book is for the children, and the back part of the book is for the parents. And I actually have a copy of this book. So if you would like a copy of this book, if you're a a mom, a teacher, a dad, uh, anyone that is involved, a, a grandma, anyone, a grandpa, Anyone involved in the lives of children, you would love this book, and it has so much valuable information in it. Welcome to the studio, Dr. Naidu. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Well, I'm very interested in in mental health. I love human behavior, and uh, with human behavior comes uh, issues, lots of issues, and we see that in children, and and we're seeing a lot more of that these days. I'm not sure if it's because awareness has been raised. There's, um, we're trying to destigmatize mental health. I, I believe we have a long way to go still, but you have created a platform papercloudprojects.ca to uh, help to destigmatize that. So tell me, why why have you done all of this work? What what drives you? What motivates you? Oh, that's one of my favorite questions, Maureen. I'm so excited to be here because really today we're talking about passion. And when passion's behind something as important as mental health, it becomes its own entity, right? So essentially, you won't believe this story, but Andrea Bell, my business partner, and I met on a plane, and you're very... I believe that. Traveler, right? Yeah, I, I meet people on the planes all the time, and then I invite them on the show. Totally. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So um, essentially, Andrea was sitting next to me and telling me that she lives in East Van. She's a mother of three children. And, you know, she's been having some struggles with some of her younger children, specifically around behavior and around sleep time. So what we decided, if you'd believe it, from a trip from LA to Vancouver within less than three hours we became business partners and said you know with your background insight as a parent as well as she used to work in corporate wellness and for myself as a child psychiatrist we said why don't we create a platform that melds like you said kind of the evidence-based research that you love for your viewers but it also kind of implicitly um, adds a little bit of creativity so that's what our platform is all about in terms of destigmatizing through education and creativity and it, it makes it a very interesting read both the child's mm-hmm. book and the and then the informative part at the back for the parents or the teachers or or whomever I, I love how you've displayed this and, and delivered this information yeah thank actually. you yeah lots of uh, you know people set out to have babies and they have the most beautiful bundle so perfect and then they often they go to school or even long before school mm-hmm. issues can occur what are some of the more common issues that you see for the the preschool child uh, in your clinical practice? Well, it's uh, obvious I can tell that you have a very strong <laughs> medical background because you're absolutely right by framing it in preschool and different ages because, as we know, sleep is very critical at different phases, and every child will need a different amount of sleep depending on where their brain development is. So the first thing I would say is transitions are huge. So you framed the question for me in terms of a preschooler. Mm -hmm. So why that's very important is that before the child even sets foot into preschool, I'm talking two to three weeks, you have to emulate what that would look like for the child. At what point does mom and dad make breakfast? At what time should the child awake? Because if we give the brain some time to get used to that routine. In fact, you'll have a lot less hiccups during Mm -hmm. that transition. So what we know is that routine is probably the biggest thing all the way up until adulthood. Oh, that's good to know. Um, I'm curious if, uh, because I see a 
lot of patients in my clinical practice with sleep issues. And they, they, they will say something like, I have never been a good sleeper. Is that because they weren't trained as a good sleeper? Or is it because of trauma that may have occurred or an unsettled household? Yeah, so I think uh, that's a very complex question, but it actually has a simple answer, which is sleeping equals skill right? So it is really a skill for all of us to learn and to practice. So what's very interesting in adulthood, if you think about it, our society, thankfully, is moving further from the badge of honor of sleeping for two hours or three hours. Before, remember in the workplace, it used to be, oh, yeah, I only got three hours of sleep. I'm fine. I can still fully function. However, like some of your the speakers that you met at your conference, you know, um, uh, for example, you know, they have a lot of uh, mental health ramifications with a lack of sleep. So how I would answer that is it's a bit complicated, but realistically, over 60% of sleep issues within the adult population even can be dealt with with a simple routine that we would describe in the mental health world as sleep hygiene. Right. And that's not taking your computer to bed and that's not having a television in your bedroom and sleep is, uh, the room is, to be, have it as dark as possible. And you would know better mm-hmm. than I. I have another question for you about babies. So mm-hmm. we have the baby and we bring the baby into the marital bed, which that enters my world because of the marital bed and something else to interrupt the marital bed. What do you think of bringing babies into the marital bed? And basically then they stay there forever, <laughs> for a long time anyway. Yeah, I mean, um, at first, obviously, everyone wants to stay with their bundle of joy, and it it allows for more touch, for more affection, um, especially bonding between parents and the infant. However, as you mentioned, the issue is what are the results of that? It's very hard to backtrack, as you can imagine. So very often, parents kind of get used to it. And it's actually very difficult not only to backtrack, but it also impacts the quality of the sleep of the infant. So it's actually a twofold process that we have to be very careful about is that this is not only impacting the parents, but this is actually affecting the brain development and the quality of sleep in the infant. This is very interesting. We're going to go to the news, but when I come back, I want to talk about the issues that kids have in school that might be directly related to a lack of sleep. I'm Maureen McGrath here with Dr. Smita Nadu. You're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. I'm here in the studio with Dr. Smita Naidu. She is a child psychiatrist. She and her business partner, Andrea J. Bell's, J. Bell, sorry, met on a plane and have decided to create a platform, Paper Cloud Projects, to destigmatize mental health in children, which is much more common than you might think. And some of those issues may come out in organization. Lack of organizational skills, behavior issues, learning issues. Dr. Naidu, thanks for staying in the studio with me. We're going to talk about the school-age child now. So when the child uh, is displaying uh, poor behavior in school, disrupting the class, inattentive, not working to their capacity, they're bright children, but they're just not getting the grades that they should be getting, the parents are stressed, the child is getting into trouble, what are, are those some of the common issues that you see in children? And are parents worried that they may have a diagnosable condition? Absolutely. I would say that would be the case 
probably more than 50% of the cases that I see that walk through our clinical practice, as well as in tertiary care hospitals, um, even in the emergency department, if you'd believe that. So absolutely, mental health comes in different forms, depending on what the child is going through. But I would say in the teenagehood or in school years, if there's one thing families can hear at the end of this show and write down and think about is sleep routine. And so are are a lot of these issues related to a lack of sleep? Yes, absolutely. Even if you just think about things, Maureen, like dental hygiene, right? No one really talks about sleep hygiene, right? Right. And I, you know, we almost feel that it's synonymous with that as your kind of annual checkup with your child. It's very important to start instilling how important sleep habits and healthy sleep habits not only benefit the child's behavior, but it makes for a happier home environment and it actually leads to the most important part of sleep, which is the active process of neuronal development in the brain. That's when the brain's growing. Absolutely. And so would you recommend that parents set a bedtime for their children and set a bedtime routine around that time that they go to bed? Yeah. So Maureen, um, I actually think, you know, parents, your listeners might be annoyed with me because I think the routine should actually start right after school. So um, if you think... I do too. Put them to bed right after school. (laughs) I think it's a great idea. (laughs) I wish it were that simple. Um, But, you know, if you think about a growing child's brain, the reason why school is so structured is because it allows them to be able to learn a little bit about organization, focus, how to sit still, all of these kinds of things that we take for granted with the school system. Now, imagine all of a sudden if that growing brain is left to their own devices, right? Clearly, their own devices, meaning their iPads and iPhones these days. Mm -hmm. But from 4 p.m. onwards, what happens? There's a lack of organization in many households, not all. And I know that parents are doing their best. Right now, you know, when we think about finances, keeping up with a dual income household, we are faced with many, many complex issues that absolutely are very difficult. It's very difficult for families to hold a very clear routine. But what I would say is if you can anchor just dinner time around one one hour or so, so let's say between 6 and 8 p.m., and as long as everyone can put away their tablets, that includes the parents, by the way, Mm -hmm. Maureen, so that would include television as well. So it doesn't feel like a punishment for their child. All screens off, for example, one hour after dinner time. And that would also kind of go through with the research that we're seeing where all of the guidelines tell us two hours before sleep, your devices should be off. It doesn't matter if it has a filter or not. A lot of people ask me that. And that's because it acts, it actually impacts the quality of your sleep and the amount of times you may wake up and not even realize. Right. Uh, and, And the phone should not be even in the room. There should be a rule. Phones... Uh, in a basket, perhaps, downstairs. That's right. Turned uh, off. I like to call it the device desk. Everyone leaves it down there. It's charging. It's a charging station. And it just becomes a nice value system within the household. Because that can be interrupted. Now, every kid that is misbehaving in school, it's, it's not necessarily just related to sleep, even though sleep would be important. So what would be some of the more common mental illnesses that you see in children that can be diagnosed through their behavior in school or f- through their ability to fall asleep at night or stay asleep at night or get up the next morning? Mm-hmm. So the first thing I would say is attention. So with attention, that can be um, not just something like you would be f- your viewers might be familiar with, which is 
is ADHD. But um, the other piece is, is that there are children that are in a school system where they may actually require different needs at different times with different subjects. So in those cases, interestingly, Maureen, one of the best uh, things to do is to actually get your child tested to see if where they are on how their brain learns. So some kids might be gifted and get very bored and might not be paying Is attention. Is that a real diagnosis for that, that whole gifted thing? <laughs> there are so many gifted kids out there today, yeah. I can't believe it, yeah. that are actually performing very poorly in school yes. and causing a lot, wreaking a lot of havoc. But yeah. the parents seem to fall back with, He's gifted. Yes. She's gifted. Yes. I've yeah. even heard gifted disabled once. I'm like, okay, well, whatever floats yeah. your boat. Yeah. But yeah. we seem to have these parents, mm-hmm. everybody thinks that their child is, is the next Einstein or the next great Canuck player. God knows we are overdue. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, I'll, I'll be honest. I think we should have another session about that because it's a fascinating topic. And I completely agree with with how labeling in mental health occurs. And that's one of the reasons I'm here is that, you know, for example, to answer your question about giftedness, the important part is not what domain they're gifted in. Mm-hmm. It's to know the discrepancy of where they're gifted and where their um, challenges are. That gap, Maureen, is the most important thing in the school system and for that child's development. I am sure. And are we seeing a rise in some of the mental illnesses like bipolar disorder, schizophrenia? Are we are we able to diagnose that um, prior to uh, adolescence? Mm-hmm. Is that so? Uh, that's part of why I love uh, child and adolescent psychiatry. Is most of the peak diagnoses occur around kind of nineteen to twenty two years old is where you'll see a lot of the literature. But what we know is we start getting symptoms and signs that already point us in the right direction. What does that mean? It does not mean, by the way, overdiagnosis. In fact, the prevalence of most of our diagnoses have actually stayed the same, if not have decreased with our new manual, which is called the DSM-5, which Mm -hmm. came out a few years. So in fact, what I would say about that is that uh, many of the diagnoses were becoming much more sophisticated at learning the subtle signs, and parents are becoming more educated with the advent of the internet, which is both good and bad for us because some of my some of my parents, uh, some of the pa- parents that come to me know a lot more about medicine than I do. But um, <laughs> but having said that, it's it's number one thing that I would want to impart with everyone is education, but not just any education. It has to be very evidence-based and clinically sound uh, information. Otherwise, it could drive anyone, you know, to a feeling of overwhelmed and uh, not getting enough sleep. <laughs> absolutely. It can yeah. be so challenging. I had a patient one time who told me that her child who was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, she said she knew there was something wrong from the day she brought him home from the hospital. That, and it was because he never slept, ever. Mm-hmm. And so is that, a, you know, we can do all of these things and sometimes children just won't, they just won't sleep. Mm-hmm. And it, mm-hmm. it, might that be indicative of somebody with bipolar disorder? For sure. So we talked about um, kind of the more common issues like ADHD, behavioral issues, or uh, earlier on you mentioned things like trauma or going through what is perceived trauma for the mm-hmm. child. That could include marital discord within the family or the death of a 
parent or the death of a grandparent. Now, moving forward, yes, there are there are other illnesses on the other spectrum, which can include more complicated neurodevelopmental disorders, what we would call them, such as bipolar uh, disorder, as well as autism can mm-hmm. also affect um, the quality of sleep and honestly even lead to issues such as insomnia. Right. Now your project is really to destigmatize mental health, which is, is in spite of all of the campaigns that we have out there, we still have a long way to go. And one of the things I think is that parents want to believe that their child is good, perfect, and uh, never and never unwell. There's nothing wrong with my child. There's something wrong with the teacher. There's something wrong with the coach. There's something wrong with that parent, but there's nothing wrong with my child. Mm-hmm. Of course, I was the one that was just like, what did my child do? He did that? Yeah, okay. <laughs> don't you worry. <laughs> I believe them. But a lot mm-hmm. of people don't believe what is said about their child. So there's no consequences for kids today. How much does that impact the mental health stigma that exists today? That is, uh, I mean, that's a billion-dollar question, Maureen. I mean, I completely agree with you. And even if we look historically, um, even in my medical training, and I'm I'm just new out, you know, a few years out, and I can tell you for a fact that I've even noticed the differences in the parents and families that I used to counsel as a medical student mm-hmm. to where I am now, which is, you know, over the span of 20 years. Mm-hmm. And what I found absolutely that's interesting about this generation is that it is quite confusing. So we are not only meant to be the mother or the father, we are also meant to be the wife and the husband. We are also meant to be the colleague and mentor. We are also meant to be the role model and cousin and daughter. So I think that we have a a really tough mixture of expectations on the parents, um, which actually fuels a lot of what we're seeing in terms of further using language that is softer or we use euphemisms, for example, and that is not helping us. Absolutely. And um, I have to say that a huge part of what we do in child and adolescent psychiatry is we focus so much of our time, I would say at least 80% of our time, if you'd believe it, on the parents so that they are aware when a child comes to us with distress, it's usually a mixture of not just the child, but the family dynamics and the school and social impacts. Right, exactly. And what about socioeconomic impact on a child? So in mm-hmm. I, I think regardless of what town somebody comes from, these mm-hmm. kids are given everything. 90% of kids have a smartphone in the world. That says something. Mm-hmm. So we're, we are working so hard in and outside of the home. Two-income families, moms are outside of the home working when their kids are babies, mm-hmm. when their kids are little, before they go into school. You know, you miss a lot. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm nothing against. I mean, I know a lot of women have to work. Mm-hmm. A lot of women want to work. A lot of women prefer to work, and nothing mm-hmm. against that. But those are very special times. But also, it, sometimes it allows people to live a particular lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So do you see differences in the diagnoses or the troubles or the distress between the lower socioeconomic families and the higher socioeconomic families? 
Yeah, and I think it's a bit of a selection bias of where I practice in Vancouver um, because we will see um, a lot of families from mid and higher income brackets. But just to focus on, let's say, um, keeping up with the Joneses, really, is oh, yeah. what I would <laughs> I would uh, <laughs> kind of summarize it as. Um, I would say there's this actual very interesting concept that's happening now in the parent world, which is called proximal parenting. So what ends up happening, Maureen, is that more and more we're starting to see that parents are not playing with their children. Mm-hmm. Parents are not carving out time for free time, for fun right. time. Mm-hmm. And realistically, what proximal parenting means is being a, a chauffeur. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I hate to put it that way, but some of a lot of my friends are completely overwhelmed because their child has four to five activities right. throughout the week and weekends. And that is actually in part of of a way of keeping up with what other children are doing. Absolutely. And um, and so I'm sorry we're out of time, oh, but okay. it's been great information. I'd love to have you back. The Quest for Rest, Polly in Pickles. It's a great book. It's a project, basically, um, yeah. by you and your partner, Andrea J. Bell, Dr. Smita Naidu. Naidu, sorry. Yeah, okay. And um, yeah, so if you want to give me a call, 604-280-9898. If you'd like a copy of this book, I have one for you. Thanks so much for coming into the studio. And um, yes, parents out there, settle down. You don't have to sign your kids up for so much. One athletic uh, program and one uh, arts, and uh, you should be good to go, and you should all be a little bit happier. Thanks so much for coming into the studio, studio Dr. Naidu. I'm Maureen McGrath, and you have been listening. You are listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. We're talking pediatrics and mental illness and this great book, The Quest for Rest, written by Dr. Smita Nadu and her partner, Andrea J. Bell. And Ed has won the first copy. Hello, Ed. Are you there, Ed? Oh, I guess it's... Is he there? No. Oh, okay, John. I guess Ed didn't stay. John, are you there? Uh, John's here. John, how are you? I'm excellent. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. So are you a dad? I am a dad. I have uh, two uh, beautiful kids, a boy and a girl. Um, and they're a little older, um, mm-hmm. and I have to apologize. I really only caught the last, um, uh, you know, five minutes of the interview, and uh, very, very intrigued, um, especially those last points on proximal parenting. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. How old are your kids, if you don't mind me asking, approximately? Uh, uh, 22 and 19 now. Okay. Did you proximally parent? <laughs> are you guilty of that? Oh. Are you there? I, oh, anyway, I could hear him. Um, oh, that's too bad. Anyway, I can't. Uh, <laughs> I lost him. <laughs> okay, we lost him. Sorry, John, that's too bad. But proximal parenting, yes, a very interesting subject. So we've had a few of you call in, um, and you'll get those books. Uh, the Quest for Rest, Polly and Pickles by Dr. Smita Nadu. So, you know, the bottom line is don't be um, living beyond your means buying a fancy car so you can drive your kids all over and make it look like it's something it is not. Anyway, (laughs) I'm kidding, of course. So uh, we're going to be going to uh, the second hour of the program. I've got lots to talk about, but lots to catch up on in the second hour. So I'm going to start that now. 
a little premature, you know what, uh, going to be talking about a very important subject, the subject of childhood sexual abuse and the impact that has on intimate relationships. I've seen a number of men in my clinical practice of late, and I cannot, I can't say that the same thing occurs to each person who has had that experience. In fact, they can be wildly different. And so I'm going to talk about some of the things that can occur. The double lives people lead, the shame, the guilt, the embarrassment, and not even knowing where to begin on how to fix this. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to debunk some myths about relationships as well, but I've got Ed on the line. Hello, Ed. No, we don't have Ed. We're not sure what's going on here tonight. Anyway, that's okay. <clears throat> Thank you all for listening. Nonetheless, uh, so in the second hour, we are also going to be talking about um, putting on a condom. Do you know how to do that? I'm going to show you. And you, something you need to teach children as well. And also talking about debunking some of those myths about those perfect relationships that you're all having out there. Nobody's life is perfect. Nobody has a perfect relationship. And life happens. So we're going to be talking about some of those things and things you should never, never do in bed. Definitely you should sleep in bed and do some other things, but there are some things you shouldn't do, and I'm going to be reviewing that in the second hour of the program. And, you know, it seems that with all of the internet dating and the online business going on, that um, there's not a whole lot of romance anymore. What happened to romance? And how important is romance? Whether you have just met somebody or whether you've been living with them for 20 years, that often flies out the window, or whether you can protect gay and lesbian youth from emotional distress. I think romance is quite important, especially being a romantic type myself. Of course, I have the Sunday Night Health Show where we talk about romance and love and relationships and, and sex, of course. Um, so I'm going to be talking about all of those subjects on in the second part of the program and your emails, I will read. And you can email me at nursetalk at hotmail.com. I wanted to read an email that I received. This is the kind of email I get from you guys, okay? Um, it's, call, it's, it's called Deep Trouble. That was the subject line. Dear Maureen, I need help. I need it now, and I need it bad. My partner and I have been together for 17 years, and we have three incredible children all under the age of 15. In March, my wife, my lover, the love of my life, told me she is not in love with me anymore. Throughout all of these years, we had great sex, which I think we did. We had sex twice a week, and 95% of the time, we had an orgasm, 75% or more at the same time. I never took her for granted, but that's what she says has happened, and now we are separating. I have lots to say, but just want to know if you can help me and my family P.S. She, on her mind, is already gone and far from me. One thing that happens with women is when they leave a marriage, when they finally physically leave a marriage, they've emotionally left the marriage a long time before. I'm Maureen McGrath. You are listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, Tune in Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.